Do you want to wait till the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just edit it I mean, out. We, we are in Long Branch, but we're in the nicer part, so that won't happen throughout <laughs> the full episode. That or they're like, on the way. There's a garage yeah. <laughs> with two men. <laughs> All right. Tim's kind of dumb. Let's help him get smart. It's time to teach Tim stuff. Hey, welcome to Time to Teach Tim. I got Angela Gingerelli, and he's going to teach us how to start a comedy scene wherever you are. What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. No much. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for doing this, and uh, thank you for starting the South Jersey comedy scene. (laughs) (laughs) I think think that's a little uh, grandiose, and what I I played a part, right? And what I I really, we'll talk about, I have a book coming out about this, and what I really go probably go overboard about in a, in a book and all social media posting about it is I don't think I'm, I'm ground zero for this whole thing happening, right? Yeah. I think I was part of the the pebble that got thrown in the pond and the butterfly effect takes us to where we are now. Yeah. Um, but I, I felt I was a good person. I had seen enough and been involved in enough that I could write a decent book that if there's a kid in South Carolina or Montana or Texas, there's nothing going on around, they can get to, it took me seven years and took us seven years to get here. If somebody had these resources, could they get to what we did in seven years in two or three years? And I took it from that, that perspective. Yeah. Um, I think I, I did a good job of kind of explaining it and my role in it. And it, I had successes and failures. That's the yeah. bottom line. I, I did stuff I will do again and do to death because it works and it was fun. And I did stuff I will never do again. So maybe someone can you know avoid some of those mistakes. Yeah, yeah. And that's the same thing with everything. You know, you're going to fail. You're going to do well. But if you don't learn then you really fail yeah it's a cool thing about this podcast you're kind of admitting the stuff you don't know yeah. and learning about it which i think is good um but the thing that hit me and not to, not to overly promote the, the product here yeah. but there's very little information about this right yeah like most of the things that you've learned about in this podcast i've listened to most of the episodes you can like, shout out to richard dweck right but you could go down the wikipedia rabbit hole and learn about yeah. power rangers if you wanted to right yeah, yeah um the baseball episode was great i'm a baseball fan myself but you could have learned that info, right? Yeah. The, yeah, the issue yeah. with the, this comedy world thing is this info is not there, really. No You way. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like We're both hockey fans, right? We're both mm-hmm. big hockey fans. I'm an Islanders fan. You you change your team year to year. So you're not yeah. real hardcore on any team, apparently. No. So you're a bad fan. You're a bad Yeah, guy. I am. No, I'm, <laughs> well, no, but, I, I will root for my fantasy team to the end of the season or fair, until I fair. drop them. But it's like, it's like if all the books about playing hockey were about the Stanley Cup and there was no books out there about... How do you start playing hockey? I don't know how to ice skate. I don't know how to handle a puck. How do you get, get, join a hockey league? Yeah. That's kind of where we are in the entertainment game, right? There's tons of books about the top. There's a million people that could tell you why Joe Rogan moved to Texas and signed with Spotify, right? Nobody knows how Joe Rogan started the podcast. Yeah. And I want to be the guy that, that talks about like step one and maybe step two. And then there's, there's a million resources from there. But I think there's, there's not a lot of information of if you live in a town where there's not a lot of open mics, how do you get enough states I mean think about being good enough to do a club or headline or do yeah, anything in yeah. comedy yeah like where is step one uh I, where I want to start in step one is you wrote a book about this it's on um, it's microcosm publishing yep uh by the time this comes out it will be ready yeah uh, February 25th it comes out so just yeah. to, if you're gonna make this evergreen uh, it's out it's out now it's coming out later yeah. this week um, so it's out there for you to buy at microcosmpublishing.com, amazon.com. It'll be in some bookstores. All right. And the name of it? It's called Stand Up and Laugh, uh, Produce Comedy Shows and Create a Sense of Community. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I got my pre-order. Well, I didn't get it, but I 
pre-ordered. Appreciate uh, that, man. Yeah, no, no problem. I, I love what they're doing, Microcosm. Like I was looking on the website, it just seems like a lot of like self-publishing yeah. help and yeah. Yeah, I think what what they do and what I would say drew me to them, but I did I did propose the book to a couple different publishers, but I think why I I, I found a good match there, right? Yeah, is yeah. that their whole thing is what's going on where they are. Is, is similar to what we have going on at Asbury Park, right? And they want to expose these little micro scenes to kind of help other similar scenes develop, right? Yeah. They, real, they realize they're lucky enough to be in this very small kind of enclosed literary community in the Pacific Northwest, and they kind of saw that what we had going on in, in Monmouth County, New Jersey, was similar, and they want to let other people know about yeah. it, which was really a good, a really good fit. So they, they linked me up with a great editor named Molly Seamus. She was great to work with. Um, and now we're putting out a zine, which if you guys remember, like the '90s punk rock pre-blog oh, yeah. era. <laughs> it's it's about a 50-page, you know, mini book of what what I had to say in the real book, which is about 300 pages. So this is kind of if this works and it sells and there's an audience for it, I'm gonna hopefully stay with Microcosm and publish a whole book in 2022. Um, if not, hopefully I sell enough to get another publisher interested or self-publish or whatever the next step is. But this is really the, the tip of the iceberg, which I think is good. It's a good tip yeah. of the iceberg, but there's more. To, to be said about this once this hopefully hits the ground running. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a comic. I'm in Duluth, Minnesota. There's no scene. What is my step one? Okay. I think there's, there's a section of the scene called first steps, right? And kind of five right. things you could do right off the bat to get, get started. And the first thing you got to do is do some research. Get a lay of the land and see what's going on, right? Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times there, there's more stuff going on in areas than you might think. And for example, for you to st- for example, one of the best, not best, I'm really blowing myself up to it. So one of the <laughs> longest running open mics in New Jersey is what we do every Monday at the Brighton Bar, yeah. right? Um, and we, it's been, it was great for two years. The pandemic shut it down for about three months. They had an outdoor stage. We were the, one of the first things back going. Yeah. We jumped right back on the horse as soon as we could, yes. right? Um, but if that's happening, don't start a mic next door on the same night. That's not that's not going to work for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so figure out what's going on and work around it, right? Um, yeah. If you're in a college town, doing a, an open mic on a Saturday when the entire town is at the college football game is silly. Yeah. But maybe a Friday night, you get the coffee shop and you get it going that way and it works. But I think get a lay of the land, right? That's the, the first thing I think people sometimes get to an area or they don't know what's going on in the area and they don't, they're don't. they kind of playing outside the lines. When I'm not saying you shouldn't try to stir things up. I mean, that there's yeah. an element that you should do. But at the same time, there's, there's some things that you make harder for yourself by not playing within the confines of what's already there. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, like one thing, one thing I always go out of my way to do is if I'm hosting a mic and I know there's a, a big show or a headliner in the surroundings, like 20, 25 miles, I'll start my thing early. I'll start it late. I'll let people leave early that are going. Because in my opinion, there's very few chances in a, in a place like Monmouth County, New Jersey, where you could do an open mic at 7 o'clock and then go and see a headliner at 9 o'clock. It does yeah. happen sometimes. Yeah. So if we can make that happen for people, let's make it happen. Yeah. You saying, this is my mic, and I'm mad you booked a headliner across the street the same night, and you've got to pick, who wins? Yeah, no one. No, everybody loses yeah. if you do that, right? So I think the other thing is, it's going to sound a little like, like Kumbaya, we are the world. Mm. But... The competition thing, I think, is so overrated. I think there's yeah. enough mics, there's enough stages, there's enough there's enough places to do things where you can't be mad or try to stop somebody else from doing something. Because the example, yeah. and you're a hockey guy, I use the, I use the basketball example in the book, right? But if you look at most sports, there's cities that sometimes aren't even huge cities that have a, a, a disproportionate amount of talent come out of those cities, right? Yeah. So in the NBA right now, 
There's New York, which has always been a thing. There's L.A., which has always been a thing in basketball. And now there's Toronto, the last 10 years, say, right? So if you look at what happens is those are cities where they have playgrounds where you have to be the best player to get on the court because they're being used all the time, right? They have the best AAU programs that feed kids to the best colleges. There's There's a status attached to being a good basketball player in those cities, right? So if you look at it, look at it through the prism, there's not a genetic component where people that are born in New York City are better than people born in New Jersey. Yeah, but no. those kids that have the genetic raw material to go to basketball are giving the best coaching, the most playing time, the best competition to get to that next level and play in college or the NBA, yeah. right? Comedy is the same thing. If you look at how many comedians are either from or got their start in New York, LA, Boston, or Chicago, it's way disproportionate to any other city in the country. You might put all Austin, Texas in it now, maybe, yeah. right? Just now. the way the world's changing. Yeah. So. But in general, those four or five cities produce like 80% of the comics that are making a living at this. Yeah. So I think if you could kind of kind of look at that prism, and, and in those basketball cities, nobody says there's too many basketball courts, yeah. there's too many AAU teams. <laughs> no, because every chance is a chance to get better and develop talent. Yeah. I think comedy-wise, you got to look at the same thing, right? Every If you live in New York or LA right now, you could do five, five mics every night of the week during the pandemic. Right, yeah. you could probably do ten a night in a, in a regular world, yeah. and not they don't they don't coincide with each other. You just take public transit to do it. If you live in Long Branch, New Jersey, that's not an option, right? No. But can, can we make a world where I could host Brighton Bar on Monday? You could host at another venue on a Tuesday. Somebody yeah. does something on a Wednesday, and it really starts spiraling, and we can really get better. Because my thing yeah. is, if you can't perform, you can't get better. Exactly, especially I, with comedy. Yeah, there's I, even the handful of people that are like, like so preternaturally gifted at being funny without performing. It's almost impossible, right? Yeah. And the the, the biggest thing is you can't perform in mo- in most cities. The other thing I think too is that if you kind of build that environment wherever you are, if you're lucky enough or make the decision to go to that next level and move to an LA and New York and Austin, Texas, you're going to be better when you get there. Right. Yeah. There's there's people that I mean I'm aware of people that have moved to cities like that to do comedy or break in the entertainment industry and have almost no resume or practice whatsoever. And that's literally like like never. It's like you played basketball in the front yard a few times and you put a Knicks jersey on and go to Madison Garden. Yeah. You can't be surprised <laughs> that doesn't work out, right? But if you start playing every day when you're five and play on your JV team and then your varsity team and then you're playing college, then you get to Madison Garden, you might be ready. You might not. Yeah, it doesn't always yeah. work, yeah. but you got a much better shot if you got those 10,000 hours to use a cliche or those many reps on your belt yeah. than if you didn't have it. Yeah. Shout out Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, uh, that 10,000 hours thing, like that's huge. That's what I chase. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a thing where and you know I think we're seeing it more now in comedy than ever of older comics actually getting better. Yeah. You really are. You're seeing even the, the the greats right now. You look at Chris Rock, a Dave Chappelle, a Joey Coco Diaz. They're they're they look great, but they're older guys. They're in their fifties, yeah, yeah. and, and these guys have been funny for thirty years already. Yeah. But I think they're funnier right now than they were when they were twenty five or thirty. Yeah. Bill Burr, like that. That's, sure. I mean, he's. He's got to be like at least forty nine, if not in his fifties, and uh, he definitely like I think he's progressively gotten better. Where there's not even like there used to be a dip, you know. Like a, I feel like a comic would hit like thirty nine, and then it would start to like all right, life has been explored. Now I'm just kind of doing this. Well, can I can I run something by you? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think, and you tell me if you disagree with this. Previous generations, people kind of quote unquote grew up. Right, and they stopped being connected to pop culture and young people, and they just they were set in their ways, and they didn't change. Yeah. Right now, with social media, the internet, the way our society in America just prizes the young so much, 
We have people in their 40s, 50s, 60s that are making jokes that are appealing to 20-year-olds. Whereas when I was younger, the older comics were like old guys, right? Yeah. But now yeah. you got, like, I'm in my early 40s, and I listen to new music every Friday because it's easy on Spotify. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and I'm definitely. around young people all the time, so I, and I watch the TV shows everybody in the 20s and 30s watches. So like I always make the joke of when my dad was in his 40s, he was a grown man. He didn't want to go see no superhero movies. He didn't want to watch <laughs> cartoons with me. He wasn't playing Nintendo. I'm in my 40s. I have a five and a half year old daughter. I bought a Nintendo Switch for Christmas. I'm playing it more than her. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't wait to watch Wonder Woman 1984 with my daughter. Yeah. Um. In a way, like my dad would have dragged himself to come and see Tim Burton Batman, but he was an adult, and I'm I'm an adult. Like I pay my bills. I have a day job. I think I, I take care of my family pretty well, but like I'm still into the. I still want to be like a, a young person at heart. Yeah. And like I I think that really comes from down, down to like what I've been realizing is the the time factor. Like my dad had two jobs. He didn't have time to have interests. Like now my dad has is like I feel like he is like struggling to find interests. And like I can't blame him cuz like he had the massive responsibility of raising a family through the 80s, 90s and aughts, I guess. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. And like now the like people like my age who like maybe aren't having three kids who maybe have one kid, maybe they just have a dog. Right. But now technology has made it to where we have time and now we're like struggling to find things to do, which produces our desire to stay relevant also. Yeah, a hundred percent. And the other thing in in this the comedy world that we just talked about, those guys that are older and still seem to be getting better, they, they're at a weird place, right? The, the generation of comics before them, if you were 50 and you had a fan base and you could do Johnny Carson a couple nights a year and do Vegas for a month at a time, you can make a living, right? Yeah. I think in the way the world you got in the last 10 years, if you don't keep cultivating new fans and stay relevant on social media, you, you really you, you fade away. For yeah. better or worse. And we've seen comics, we've seen musicians, we've seen athletes that have retired that should be still like pop culture figures just kind of go away without without being relevant to the, the young kids today. Yeah. They're, you know, they're just biologically, your fan base will die out as they get older. Yeah. If you don't keep appealing to young people and staying in the public eye, it's just kind of a wrap. Yeah. And like it, that's the, the thing that I don't understand with people with comedy where they'll be like, oh, I saw that comedian three years ago. I don't need to see him again. And like I think that's because people you have like the Jerry Seinfeld mindset where like Jerry Seinfeld cultivated his hour and his hour was his hour for six years. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like I'm just I'm not calling you out, Jerry Seinfeld. Not that <laughs> but uh but now I feel like so much of it like I, I saw Mark Norman four times during the pandemic and like a lot of it was different. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's almost like, I don't want to speak for you, but for me personally, right? I want my, my comics, my, the people I pay to go see, not my friends that I do mics with and do yeah. shows with at the Jersey Shore, but the people I pay to go see, I almost want them to be more of a personality and a point of view that I like. Yes. And then I want to see their take on things, right? Yeah. Like at the end of at the end of twenty twenty, Andrew Schultz did the uh, four hour special on Netflix, which was called Schultz Saves America, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I like his point of view. I agree with a lot of the way he views the world. And when I don't, I still think he's funny presenting stuff I disagree with, right? So I couldn't wait to see him do four hours. Is what's happening in the world right now, right? Yeah. Now I think that was successful. Everybody we know watched it. Oh, we talked about it. So that. I'm assuming they're going to do it again next year, right? He's not going to do the same events you're going to cover different things yeah. so like i think that i think the model now is to and the podcast makes it a little bit easier 
you you have a personality, you become a character, if that character is largely yourself, and then your fans want to tune in to find out what your take on whatever this week's news is on your podcast, whatever this year's news is on your special. Yeah, definitely. And, like, I, like it, it's a fun time to do comedy right now because, like, while I, I definitely agree with you there and, like, seeing, like, people on a week-to-week basis, like, I, like, I haven't... I want to know Joey's Diaz, Joey Diaz's take on just life in general all the time. Like, not just the pandemic. Like, I want to see him growing up. And, like, I just want, I really admire people who work at a bit, but also incorporate modern stuff. Yeah. That, that's kind of, like, what I, I try to do. Well, I think, I think the podcast model is kind of interesting, right? And I look at what... And it's not that I had to code crack on podcasts by any means. But for the last year, I've been doing this called Me and My Cousins. It's yeah. me, I'm in my 40s, I've got another cousin in his 30s named Mike, another cousin in his 20s named Kenny, right? Yeah. So we grew up together, we grew up hanging out together, but that 10-year difference is we view the world differently in a lot of ways. You just Kenny grew up with social media and SoundCloud. I grew up no internet barely and going to Sam Goody to buy CDs, <laughs> right? So the world's different. Yeah. But so what we try to do is every week we start to show off with like, What's going on in the world today? What's the coronavirus vaccine up to? What's going on in the schools? Whatever it is. Yeah. And then I bring in a guest and we kind of talk about the guest, about what the guest does. So it's like you, you hear our take on what's going on in the world. And then you hear this other kind of, in, in our case, it's an interview, but it could just easily be a, a bit or rehearsed skit or whatever. Um, so you kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of, the, those are kind of, in my opinion, kind of the best podcast. Yeah. You get some topical stuff and some kind of evergreen stuff that's going to be cool yeah. forever. And I, I love your guys' dynamic together too. Because like, it's just, it's like the generations, I feel like generations now are divided by decade. We're, we're no longer this 30-year gap. Um, I agree. Especially the, the last couple decades, man. So much has changed from the 90s to 2000, 2010s. Yeah. It's almost, it's, we live in a different world. And yeah. the last year, we live in a completely different world than we did just in 2019, <laughs> really. Yeah. Uh, so, like, step two, so step one, check out what's out there in the comedy scene. Like, uh uh, I think there's a website called Bodslava's where I found my first open mic. Uh, I, I, there's there will be information on what's going on around you out there. You just have to look for it. Step two, you find a couple people doing some things. Where, where do you go from there? I think the, the biggest thing is to kind of go to what's happening now, right? Even if it's improv, it's community, if it's anything related to what you want to do, start to know the players, right? Yeah. Get get comfortable and be friends with it. I know there's this weird thing that stand-up comics can't stand improv, and both <laughs> groups hate spoken word poetry normally. Yep. And the joke I always make, and it's even in the book, but I'm not saying it here, that's to an outsider – all of that's the same, and it's all ridiculous yep. to anybody outside the scene, right? <laughs> it's literally like a high school cheerleader hating the gymnasts and the divers because they. It's like, what, what are we doing? What? what are, why are we doing this? Um, but like, get get involved in that stuff, man. Like, I, I've had great shows opening up for improv groups. Yeah. So you, I mean, you can clown improv people all you want. I've had great times and great relationships doing stuff with them. I've never done improv myself. I've just opened up for them. Um, same thing with the music community, right? I've, I've hosted out and released parties. I've done sets between bands. I've done stuff like that. Um, and then do, in, at the Jersey Shore, probably the most important thing that came out of that was relationships with music venues. Because if you yeah. want to start an open mic or a show in a restaurant or a, a coffee shop or whatever it is, you need your own mic. You need a PA system. You need lighting. It's not built for that. Music yeah. venues are built perfectly for what you're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. There's almost no investment. Yeah. So like I said, we, we fell kind of lucky into the Brighton Bar. It's a legendary music venue. They have the best lighting. They have great acoustics. They have a, a, a sound guy there for us every 
every Monday. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're just so lucky to have access to that, that if we were doing that exact same mic in a coffee shop, it might be a great coffee shop, but we just don't have that stuff. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Just, that doesn't exist. Yeah, and like like I've done mics in coffee shops where like a wire goes bad. That's the end of the mic. There's yeah. no there's no extra wires there, you know. <laughs> like uh, yeah, so I think you know, look at those non traditional venues in general. I think music venues where we live have really been instrumental to what we're able to do yeah. because of what they just the, the technology they have in the building and the, yeah. the expertise they have working that technology in the building. Yeah. But then I, I've I've done cool shows in comic book stores, record stores, just all these weird off the beaten path places. Yeah. Um, and if you you know if you live in New York City, there's no reason to ever go to open mic in a laundromat. It's ridiculous. There's enough <laughs> mics in comedy clubs. Right, yeah. But yeah. if you live in Montana and your boy owns a laundromat and he'll give you the the Monday night slot, maybe try something there. Why, why yeah. not? Yeah, and especially now, like I feel like venues are going to be hungry for people when things, even while well, even before things open up, like. Well, what I what I talk about is there's an entry in the in the zine called timing is everything, right? right? And what I say is for as much credit as I get for for what what I've done and what my my age group has done in Asbury Park, we were all myself a hundred percent included in the right place at the right time. So 2013 Asbury Park is in the transition from the the 90s grimy you don't even think about going to Asbury yeah. Park as a vacation spot to the 2010s multi-million dollar condominiums <laughs> and great restaurants and big time touring bands going to Stone Point Summer Stage, right? Yeah. But so they were in a transition is you got these real estate developers that built really nice venues and you got bars and restaurants that got new ownership groups and revamped everything inside the place, right? Yeah. So on the weekends and the summer, they're making money, right? Nobody's going there yet on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays in January. Yeah, no. So what we really stepped into was you had these venues that are getting, you know, they're paying rent, they're paying for the liquor license, they're paying insurance, they're paying wait staff all year, and they're yeah. only making money a couple months. So if you could bring something, some revenue into them on a Tuesday in February, you can do that show every every Tuesday for the whole year. Yeah. Um, and we really hit that right on the head. We're right now, I'm not saying you can't do that in Asbury right now. You definitely can. Younger people than me will do it when this pandemic's over, but it's much harder because there's more of a structure of oh, we always have this band come in on Monday and then we have this DJ on Tuesday and this yeah. cover band on Wednesday. Where you know, seven years ago it was the Wild West of venues that needed revenue and a bunch of comics that wanted to help them do it and were really able to do it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I always say is like coming up in that that environment. Everybody views not having access to comedy clubs as a detriment. I think when you really look at it, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a good thing. It's yeah. a positive. Look at the negative. Yeah. It's really a positive because now there's no rules. You know what I mean? I, like, I, I use it as a little bit of a tired cliche, but you could you could buy a house in a suburban development or you could go and, and tame the Wild West in the wilderness, right? Yeah. They both have good and bad to them, but the person that, that's out there kind of beating their own path has way more flexibility. Now, they're, yeah. they, they might fail a lot easier. It might be harder, but they could do way more things that you can't do if you just go buy a prefab house and move into it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's, that cliche kind of works, but it's kind of like you could do all these weird things in towns that don't have anything yet that you can't do in a town with an established arts entertainment scene. Yeah. Yeah, and like, that's why I can't recommend, you know, just talking to venues enough. Like, um, as with uh, Danny Braff, runs like six successful shows already, booking national headliners. We went to Easton, PA, and he stopped in every restaurant, every little venue, every art gallery, and he just asked. Yeah. And what he did, and I'm gonna I'm gonna guess he did this. I don't know Danny as well as you do. I met him a couple times. Seems like a really nice guy. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna guess he's done to make those shows work. Is he does something a lot of not just community but artists in general 
don't understand. You got to make your proposition valid and and beneficial to the venue, right? Yeah. If I if you walk into a venue like I want to do this open mic because it's good for the scene, a guy that's paying to turn yeah. the lights on and pay the wait staff and and they're gonna laugh at you, right? Yeah. But yeah. if you walk in and say I could bring twenty people in on a Monday when you're slow, everybody's gonna be twenty one years old and buying drinks and buying dinners or whatever it is, and it's gonna make you a thousand dollars on a weeknight that you wouldn't have made any money without the event, yeah. it becomes way more palatable, right? Yeah. So I think yeah. you gotta make what you're doing you gotta be a salesman a little bit and and make what you're doing and what you wanna do work for the person you wanna do it with. Um, and then, you know, do it in a way that's going to make be beneficial to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we, now we're doing it. We got places to do it. What else, what else do you, uh, do you think is a really important step in, in developing the scene? I, I think I kind of touched on it already, but encouraging other things to happen, right? Yeah. And then I think to some extent, once it starts to flourish a little bit, documenting the scene becomes important, right? Podcast, mm-hmm. YouTube videos, and, and, and posting each other's stuff and getting as many eyes on each other's things yeah. as you possibly can. Yeah. Um, I think at, at this level, comedy beef is ridiculous. Like, I, I, just don't, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't understand why you would do that to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're really, to use another cliche, the fifth one of the night or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, the rising tide rises all ships. Yeah, and I think if, if there's more stuff going on, everybody kind of benefits. But but document what you're doing. We, it's never been easier to do a podcast, to do, make a YouTube documentary, to, to at the bare minimum, post on social media about when your shows yeah. are and if you get a poster made make sure as many people as possible yeah. see that and just kind of document what's going on because I think that only snowballs the effect of what you're doing and then yeah. from there I would say start reaching out to, to local media right social media is great you can argue it's the best way to promote stuff but I think right below that is the local newspapers the local websites the community calendars people people still use those yeah, right yeah. so and then, then the smart ones have either a physical newspaper or a website and then they have social media accounts that direct you to their calendars or whatever it is um, so I think really reach out to those and form relationships with those local media companies. Yeah. I, I've made great friends in the last five, six years of the local writers and photographers that are just cool, just want to cover stuff. Yeah. Their job is to figure out what's going on and tell their readers about it. Help them. Help them tell them what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, and also, if you are a artist of any kind and you don't go out of your way to be great with photographers, you're a fool because they can make <laughs> you look horrible. That's why every, every, yeah. every time I see a photographer from the Asbury Park Press, you know, I, I get them a water. I see if they want a beer, yeah. buy, them, you know, buy them a hamburger or whatever because they, they kind of control how you look to some extent. Yeah. And let's give a, a shout-out to the guy you had come by at um – the Comedy Fight Club. Those pictures were, were yeah, great. I'll shout him out again. His name's Jeff Crespi. His website is Jeff Crespi Rocks. He took the cover photo of the book that you guys will see when it comes oh, out next week. Awesome. It, it wasn't meant for that. I was just doing a show at House of Independence, and it was like the best picture of me ever taken. So yeah. we went ahead and, and used that. Um, and actually, I, Greg, the owner of Brighton Bar, set him up at Comedy Fight Club, not me. Oh, I, right. I just have any friends with him who hung out that yeah. night. But uh, yeah, he's a great photographer, and does, yeah, does, if you need amazing. album or headshots, I think he's the guy to reach yeah, out to. Yeah, those pictures are amazing. Shout out to the guys doing Comedy Fight Club: Mark Henley, uh, Matt Marin, Marin. Matt, I don't know. I don't know. I, how I to think say it's, I think it's Marin. I think so too. That is a fun event. Am I right when yeah, I say? Yeah. Oh my god, it's so fun. Yeah, I think uh, I think those guys hit on something that I didn't. I hadn't thought about before, and it's weird because like I like stand up, which is obvious, right? Yeah. I like like the pro wrestling sports bravado of things, and I love hip hop and battle rap, and they yeah. just put them all together yeah. <laughs> in a way that is just awesome. I mean, they yeah. I only got to be on one so far, unfortunately, but I want I want to do it every time until I have yeah. me back. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and um, 
that kind of brings me to like to, um something that I think is like ridiculously important in in comedy. When I started, I was just nice to everybody. I wasn't overpowering in my opinions of things. It, I kind of I came in. I just made myself there. I came in early and I stayed late at things even if I didn't talk to anybody before or after them. But the more people saw me, I think people got comfortable with me. And uh, once I was able to start kind of developing those friendships, it, it, it's done wonders for my confidence on stage. You know, you get feedback from the people that you meet. And uh, I, I think being a good person in a scene is the highest of importance. Yeah, man. And unfortunately, that's one of those that should go without saying, but it needs to be said. Yeah. It's, I think the entertainment game in general and the artistic world kind of attracts some people that maybe are not are not what you said. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, attracts a lot of young people that maybe don't understand that yet. And then this weird thing of like, if you just grow up wanting to do stand-up and you, you watch it on TV, but there's very, really very little documentation of what's going on behind the scenes, yeah. right? Um, and I think, unfortunately, we, we hear about, like, comedians having beef, like Joe Rogan and Carlos Mencia or whatever. You don't ever hear about these guys that are good friends and like doing shows together. Yeah. And just They bounce material off each other. That's a boring yeah. story. Yeah. But I think if you look at even the, the, all comedians have that crew or circle they run with, and that's how you get better. Like, what I would say is I look at open mics as going to the gym, and I look at shows as the games, right? Yeah. So we're, we're practicing at Brighton Bar every Monday. Yeah. And whatever I've been good at in my life, from, from whatever level of comedy you think I'm good at, listen to this, to marathons. I run to my background playing sports extensively. Um, when I was practicing those things, I got incredibly comfortable with the environment and the people I was with that allowed me to get outside my shell and try some new things. Yeah. I think that's one thing I try to do at Brighton Bar all the time is, is make it comfortable to try new stuff. Because I think when you go to Mike's and it's a very tense environment and everybody thinks you gotta, you know, gonna get the light early if you don't do good and you can't try new yeah. stuff. I don't know how you get better under that kind of stress. Yeah. Now that being said, when it when it's showtime and there's a crowd that paid money to see you, there's an element of stress that a hundred percent, right? Yeah. But yeah, I feel like you should have so many reps of what you know works, and then tried some stuff that doesn't work. By the time you get in front of a real crowd, you feel good about it. And then, yeah. and then say for example, you do a show on a on a Saturday and crush with your A material, right? I think on Sunday night, if you show up in a mic, you should be able to try something totally different yeah, and just see what, what you're going to do with the next show because, like you said, that, that guy with the tight five or the tight hour even, people aren't paying to see that anymore. Yeah. And, that, and, and especially if they were it's on Spotify and YouTube and you know the guy or girl is doing the same thing again, why would you ever leave your house? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, uh, you know, I, I would... I wouldn't worry about building a, a fan base right away. Like that should never be step one. Um, but like, how do you, how do you get the community involved in in a scene? Do you think the community outside of the comedians themselves? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think a couple things you could do. One, I think really go after coverage in local media, right? Yeah. And get to the point where if, if the readers don't see you for a week in a, in our case, the tri city news or Asbury vibes or someone's publications. They, they think like something happened to you. Like just be there all the time. Yeah. Right. Number two, I think be out in the streets, be at when, when the world's normal again, be at bars, be at nightclubs, be at 
at album yeah. release parties, be where people could see you, right? Yeah. Um. Some of the, by me just being a big big hip hop head and being at, at a lot of the, the, the hip hop stuff in Asbury Park, those those rappers, DJs, promoters, producers have come to my shows, right? Yeah. It was kind of a mutual respect for each other. I got asked those album release parties because of that. That if I just didn't leave my house those nights, none of that would be happening, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, the podcast is a great is a great way to kind of document what's going on in your scene and bring in some listeners from outside. If nothing yeah. else, if your friends and family listen, and let's say, for example, I bring you on to me and my cousins, and now 10 of my family members know who Tim Rager is. If I book a show next year and you're on the lineup, the guy I remember him from Angelo's podcast, we're going to yeah. go check it out this time, where if they didn't know you, they might not. Yeah. It's a very slow way to kind of get that snowballing effect, but I think it does work long-term. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I say in the, in the book pretty extensively is, Work with the community. Like I've done events before for, for Special Olympics, for a New Jersey organizing project. If you can put an event together and raise some money for a good cause, all of a sudden you're you're valuable and you're doing good things in the community. And I think one thing I hate about comedy, because I'm pretty straight-laced. I have a family. I don't use drugs. I'm, I work out. Not that I'm the best guy ever, but... I'm not the what the media wants to believe a stand-up comic is, right? Yeah, Just a drug-using, yeah. drunken degenerate that can't stay with the same woman. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not that guy, right? Yeah. And I think when you start to do those good things in the community, become a face, oh, wait, not every stand-up comic is already laying. You <laughs> kind of have a, bit, a little bit higher standing in the community and can do something and help people. Like, I, yeah. I feel one thing I feel really good about in Monmouth County over the last five, six years, I've raised tens of thousands of dollars for different causes, right? Oh, wow. Just by making people laugh. Yeah. We, we did the... um. Every Thanksgiving, we do the food drive at Brighton Bar, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's every comic, if it's just so people know at home. Normally, we do five-minute sets at Brighton, and you don't, you don't pay me. You pay you buy a drink at the bar and tip the bartenders yeah. out. We call it even. Uh, but once a year, they, they do a thing where, or I do a thing, where every food item you donate to the Prosper Foundation, you get that amount of time on stage, yeah. right? So if you bring 20 cans of pumpkin pie filling, you get 20 minutes on stage that night. And pre-COVID, we would do it like two in the morning. We had to cut it short this year because they stayed curfew yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But, um, but all of a sudden, like now, now the, the story on social media and the reality is that there's a hundred, not a hundred, maybe 20 families in Monmouth County having a Thanksgiving dinner that they don't have unless we did that event, yeah. right? And I mean, that kind of stuff is really invaluable. Number one, I think karma in the universe, it's good for everybody. Yeah, and number two, it's just good to, to help your community out. Yeah, the pile of food that you had to load into your car was amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 dude, two things I always say, and I, I have this book coming out now, and I'm on a daily basis proud to be a part of this community, right? Yeah. But then there's certain days and nights where I'm like, 10x proud to be a part of this. And that, that, every year, that's one because every year, everybody comes through. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's November and it's cold and people probably got their own Thanksgiving to get ready for. They're starting to do Christmas shopping. They're working a lot that time of year and they come out and they stay all night and they bring baskets of food yeah. with them. You know what yeah. I mean? The other time, I, I want to shout you out, man, and how, how tight this community is. The night I announced the book, which is uh, a Monday at the Brighton Bar, and I just kind of explained what it was and said, any help you can give me, you guys can give me, I, I really appreciate it. By the time I left two hours later, I had booked three podcasts, including yeah. this one, uh, Foul Housemates, and What the Heck with Richard Dweck. So like, I think that's where you really, where we can all win. If we, if somebody's yeah. doing something cool and three of you guys all decide we need to talk about this thing on my, at my platform, because I best believe when you got something coming out, you're going to be the first guy on me and my cousins. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's kind of the way it's got to work. But I think we, we do it. I think the other thing in comedy, man, it's so... It, it can be so cutthroat, right? Yeah, it can be so yeah. every man for himself. I'm a lone wolf. And I, I'm not naive. I think at a certain level, it is absolutely that. Like if me yeah. and you are going to battle out and only one of us getting a Netflix special and, and six figures, 
we got to go to war. Yeah, we got to yeah. do. We got. We got to feed our families, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But if we're at this level, and so you got to show it the same this month, I didn't get booked on it. I'm going to watch and laugh and have a good time. Yeah, I'm not going to waste yeah. time being mad at you about that. And yeah. then next month, maybe I'll get it. Maybe you'll get it again. And if you get it three, four times in a row, then we might have a beef. Yeah. But as long as it goes back and forth a little bit, we yeah. can be friends and yeah. have a good time. See, like, and that's that's the thing, like being nice, being available and present at things and and having something to bring to the table. Like I, I was telling you, I started this podcast because I want to be the the tide that raises ships like i want to i want to put my drops of water into that tide you know and like uh that will help you more than you can imagine yeah d- definitely man there's there's a time and a place for competition yeah. and there's a there's a there's a reason for it in the, in this game no question yeah. but i don't think in most local scenes you gain a lot by being super competitive gain nothing. right i don't i don't understand what why, yeah. why that that's a thing so be competitive with yourself try to have a better set than you had the last set yeah well and you know what i would say if you just if you're always the funniest guy at say the brighton bar say you're always the funniest person on a monday night at brighton bar yeah. you're the king of that castle that's a real small castle. Yeah, you got to exactly. get, got to get funny. And what I love about Brighton in this community in general, we'll use Brighton as a small example. It's never the same funniest person no. Monday night. Like, there's <laughs> on any night. There's we're limited to twenty comics right now because of the, the social distancing yeah. laws and stuff like that. But on any given night, any one of those twenty people could crush. Yeah. And what I kind of like about it too, and I clue myself in this, any one of those twenty can bomb. Yeah, I, I've <laughs> I, I've had sets there when I'm running the room that went horribly. You know what I mean? But that's how you know the, your people are keeping it real. Yeah. That's how you know they're not clapping because they like you. They're, la- they're clapping or not because yeah. they like the material, which means if you make that room laugh, you, you'll use it somewhere else. Yeah. It's not just kind of pity claps and everybody's, there's no participation trophies yeah, there. No, not at all. That's one of the things I love about that room. I, I always say you bring your material and you'll be able to edit it right there yeah. immediately. And I, I do, yeah, man. I, I do think that's a valuable thing. Having a room like that is is huge. Um, where people kind of, unfortunately now that not a lot of new people can, can be let in because of the way the yeah. list has to go out on Saturday and there's limited type people can get yeah. in, but where it's the same, say it's like 30 comp, 30 different people fill those same 20 spots every week, basically. Yeah. Right. Um, you got to kind of have new stuff or at least a new take on something or, or something new every week. Yeah. Um, cause if you just do the same stuff over and over again, even if it's great, people kind of let you know they're bored of it right yeah, away. Yeah. Which is like my favorite bit of comedy is the minute edits. So like right now this is like so frustrating for me cause I'm like, well, what if I turn this statement into a question? Does it, does that bring you in more? Uh, but, um, it, it's also this weird thing where, like it's never done. Yeah. Like even if even if were to, if you were to release an album and think you had it perfect, literally the next morning you wake up and be like, I should have done X. I should have yeah. breathed there. I should have paused here. Yeah. Um, which I think just for for your sanity, you have to at some point be done with something. You yeah. know what I mean? You got to move on yeah. from it. But I, I would imagine even comics that are on TV every day, like someone like Ellen that does a show every day, um, she's got to go home and just think like, oh, I could have done this different, or I would have yeah. done this different. Um, yeah. then apparently she just horrendously meets everyone around her about it. Uh, is it, we're getting close to, to time here. Is there anything you wanted to touch on before we wrap this up? No, I mean, I think that covers it pretty good. The rest of the info is in the zine, more info yeah. and that'll be in the book. And then, uh, I think the, the last thing I'll, I'll say as a piece of advice, to some, now I'm in no position to give people advice. I have a day job. I drive a very you know, sensible car. I'm not blowing up by any means, but I do think it, whether it's comedy, whatever you want to do, do it now. Yeah. No, almost nobody looks back in life and says, Oh, I started blank too early 
and now I'm too good at it, right? <laughs> just realize you're going to be bad in the beginning because everybody's bad yeah. at it. Put the time in and decide if you like it now and mm-hmm. don't don't look back on something you're going to, oh, the, don't let it be the one that got away. If you like it, find an open mic, start a mic, whatever, and, and get going and see if it's for you. It might not be, but at least now you know. Yeah, yeah. My my good friend uh, doesn't do comedy, Brian Harima. Uh, he, I was talking to him. I was like, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that and then I'm going to start. And he's like, just do it and i was like "Ah, that's not what i wanted to hear right because i was scared to start i didn't want to just start i wanted to have the list of things in front of it uh get rid of that list you don't need it even if you don't have anything written go to an open mic go to an open mic go to an open mic you don't have to go up but i guarantee you once you get there and almost every comic i talked to who was like that was their mindset they went there they're like what am I scared of? And they almost either went up that night or went to a mic the next night. And also, would you agree with you? Just, I have these list of things I want to have in place before I do comedy. You could still do that list while you're going to open mics. Yeah. Like yeah. your your to do list doesn't have to end. You could just say you, say you want to write an hour a day or whatever, right? Well, you can do that on nights you don't go to an open mic. You yeah. could do everything you want to do, you could do while you're doing mics and yeah. seeing if, you're, if it's for you or not. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there's no reason to wait. There's just you got to get out there and do it. There's no yeah. other really a, you know excuse for that. Yeah. Um. You want to plug socials and yeah, man. Uh, Angelo Gingerelli on all social media, Mister Fifth Round at MR the number five T H R U N D. Uh, once a week, my two little cousins do a podcast called Me and My Cousins. We kind of talk about the events of the world, and then we bring on you know guests from the comedy world, the music world, the the yeah, business everywhere. world. Yeah, we yeah, kind of bring yeah. people in from everywhere. Um, and the main reason for that is. During the pandemic, so many comics started podcasts interviewing other comics. And they're great. I listen to almost everybody yeah. that I know, um, but that story is being told. Somebody beat yeah. me to it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to tell a different story of what's going on and how people are getting through 2020 and 2021. And then uh, Stand Up and Laugh is available. You can pre-order now. It, it comes out on February 25th on microcosmpublishing.com. Yeah. Uh, it'll be in some bookstores and amazon.com. But microcosmpublishing.com is probably the best place to get it. Yeah, I'll post a link. Um, I want to, I want to say thank you very much for hosting the Brighton bar and having that space be so welcoming. Cause like it was a venue that I was afraid of. And then like after the first time I went up there, I felt part of. So thank you. Oh, th- thank you, man. We're, we're I'm going to speak for everybody right now. We're super lucky. You started coming out. Uh, you're, you were funny the first time I saw you. You've gotten progressively funnier since then. Yeah. And uh, you're really, you're an asset to what's going on there, man. So thanks for having me on the podcast and thanks for coming out every Monday. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, I got a show uh, March 25th, uh, Scotty's Comedy Cove. Hit me up if you want tickets. Uh, I'll help you get them. Uh, anything else? That's it, man. Thank you. I hope I taught Tim something. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely learned. Uh, play us out, Tim. Tim's kinda dumb, let's help him get smart, it's time to teach Tim stuff.